Fan-sided MMA and Sports Illustrated MMA present the Extra Rounds Podcast. Yes, exactly. Let's go get him. We're going to shake things up. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. Sports Illustrated MMA. My name is Mike Heck. I am your host, broadcasting from our studios here in beautiful Berkshire County, Massachusetts. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for downloading. Hopefully you have subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so. Drop the old Superman punch on the subscribe button. It literally takes you two seconds to do. And you get shows automatically downloaded to the device of your choice. You don't have to do anything else. They just automatically download. And if you could leave a five-star rating, that would be pretty fantastic as well. UFC 227. What a great card that was. We have a brand new and only the second ever UFC flyweight champion in history. Henry Cejudo gets the split decision nod over Demetrius Johnson. And listen, I scored the bow for DJ. A lot of people scored the bow for DJ. But you can't really say robbery here. You can't. The evolution of Henry Cejudo from that first fight at UFC 197 to where we are now, unbelievable. I don't even know if it was UFC 197. I got to tell you, I have a lot going on right now. I really do. My mind is just all over the place. So we're really not going to mess around. There's going to be no going the full five this week. We are going to do it next week. I promise you that'll be back. I know people are liking going the full five. But I just have so much going on in my mind. I want to get right to these interviews, do what I love, and that is talk to the great competitors, the great athletes of the sport of mixed martial arts. So let's run down the lineup. Later on, we're going to talk to Darian Caldwell, the reigning, defending Bellator Bantamweight champion. He's going to fight Noad Lahat in the main event of Bellator, excuse me, Bellator 204 next Friday night from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And Darren Caldwell is not going to be defending the Bantamweight title. He's going back up to featherweight for this fight. And I have a feeling we're going to hear him talk about being a two-division champion. I mean, we're seeing Roy McDonald. He's getting ready to fight for the middleweight title against Gegard Mousasi. He's going to be part of that welterweight tournament as well. So... Go get him, Darian Caldwell. I've been very high on Darian Caldwell for a long, long time. Even before he fought Joe Warren, I was very high on him. And then the performance against Joe Warren was unbelievable. Then he fought baby Joe Temaglo, and that didn't go well for him. But he ended up getting that one back. And now he's the Bantamweight champion, and he's only going to get better. So we're going to talk to Darian Caldwell, one of the best 135-pounders in the world, as he makes his way back up to the 145-pound division next week in the main event of Bellator 204. Speaking of the 135-pound division, one of the fast-rising stars of the UFC Bantamweight division, Cody Stamen, is going to join us on the Extra Rounds podcast. He's going to kick things off in a couple of minutes. As you know, as we first reported on Fanside at MMA, Cody Stamen is going to fight Aljamain Sterling at UFC 228 in Dallas coming up next month. And that's a great fight. I mean, Cody Stamen just continues to get tougher competition every fight. Of course, the Duke and Watt fight. Then he had the Brian Caraway fight, which he won. And now he gets Aljamain Sterling. So the UFC is clearly seeing something in this kid. I've been seeing it in him for a long time now. I'm very excited to have him 
on the show. I've talked to him on my other show a few different times, but now he's going to join us in the newly relaunched Extra Rounds podcast, and we're going to talk to the Spartan Cody Stamen coming up next. But before we do that, I want to talk about our fantastic sponsor, teststrips.com. That's teststrips with the Z, ladies and gentlemen, .com. Managing diabetes is your business. Making it affordable is theirs. You can sell your extra unused diabetes supplies for up to $50 per box and support a worthy cause that causes the fight against diabetes. Why would you have extra diabetes supplies to sell? Maybe you've switched brands of testing supplies. Maybe the accumulation and overstock of supplies over time. Maybe the unfortunate news of a relative or a significant other passing away. Whatever that is, you could turn those extra unused supplies into cash. At teststrips.com, they'll buy all major brands of glucose test strips and lancets, including AccuCheck, Bayer, Freestyle, and OneTouch. And they offer a simple-to-use, fully automated platform where individuals can submit sales orders and request prepaid shipping labels to ship your items. Once the package is received, they will send payment within 24 hours via business check or PayPal. How about that, ladies and gentlemen? They will then take those supplies. They will resell them online at significantly reduced prices, sometimes up to 80 to 90% off pharmacy prices. They do that because... They don't want these supplies to go to waste or expire, and they want to create a more affordable market for those who are not covered by insurance. What a company this is. You can learn more by going to teststrips.com, teststripswiththez.com, or calling 855-STRIPS with the Z1. That's 855-STRIPS1. Teststrips.com, Better Business Bureau accredited, A-plus rating for over five years. They are affiliated with the American Diabetes Association. They support the Wounded Warrior Project, and they have partnered up with one of the biggest sports radio stations in the country, 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston. Test strips with the Z.com. Sell your extra unused diabetes supplies for up to $50 per box and support a worthy cause and support a just a fantastic company. Welcome back to the Extra Rounds Podcast, everybody. Joining me right now, he's going to take on Aljamain Sterling, September 8th, UFC 228 in Dallas. He's won 10 in a row and has another big opportunity to advance in the UFC Bantamweight division next month. I've talked to this gentleman a few times, but for the very first time on the Extra Rounds Podcast on Fan Sided MMA and Sports Illustrated MMA, Cody Stamen joins the show and he joins us on the phone. Cody, how are you, man? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Look at us. We started from the bottom, and, and look at us. You're getting big fights. I get a bigger platform. I mean, it's just coming full circle right now. That's how it works, dude. Keep <laughs> working hard and get things happen. Well, that's what it's all about, man. So this has been quite a buildup to get to this point. I mean, for a couple of months, you and Aljamain Sterling have been going back and forth with each other. But it didn't seem like this fight, even though it made a lot of sense to a lot of people and people were getting excited about it, didn't seem like it was going to come together. And then all of a sudden, Aljamain just started talking more about it, and here we are. Like, how did this ultimately come together for you guys? So, I mean, uh, you know, when I initially kind of got on Twitter and started uh, messing with him, uh, he basically said, you know, that he had no interest in fighting me and he was looking for... Basically, he was looking past me. Like, I didn't really deserve the shot, even though I already I had just beat a guy that was ranked higher than him, and a guy that beat him. Um, I'm not really sure where he where he came up with that. But, uh, so, you know, I honestly wasn't sure that he was going to be my next opponent. And then pretty much out of the blue, my manager called me and said, hey, you're going to be fighting out to me soon. You're probably out of contract within a week. I was like, all right. And then, you know, the next day, Aljamain was, uh, you know, announcing it. Uh, the red carpet at the Hall of Fame event for Matt Sarah saying that, you know, I was going to be his next opponent. It was probably going to be 
early September, and then you know a week later I had a contract, and you know now we're here. I mean, you kind of kind of touched on it. You felt pretty strongly towards the end here. You know, before Aljamain went on the red carpet, like you felt pretty strongly like this fight was going to happen. But about a month ago, six weeks ago, did you think Aljo would be the guy? No, I wasn't sure that Aljo was going to be the guy. Uh, they was just told to be ready uh, in August. I was going to be fighting in August, sometime in August. There were a lot of thirty-five fights, a lot of thirty-five pound fights uh, on that uh, LA card. So you know, I was, I was basically preparing for you know a potential short notice fight. Uh, I was just ready to get back in there. And then um, it, it was definitely it was definitely going to be Aljo, and we weren't really sure what card it was going to be on. And then, uh, you know, early September was the date. And, you know, so I'm basically, you know, I'm six weeks into training camp already. Uh, you know, I started pretty early uh, getting prepared. You know, I was, I was really ready for anyone. But, uh, you know, I'm glad it's him. Um, this is a fight that I wanted for a long time. I feel like this is a fight that uh, makes a lot of sense for the Bantamite division right now. We're ranked pretty similarly. I mean, he's got a lot more fights in the UFC than I do. But, you know, it's just because I'm climbing a little higher than him. A little faster than him. You said you've been in a in a camp for six weeks now. You were preparing for a fight in August, and then this one came along. Did did you have to slow down a little bit, or did you just kind of keep going? It's just going to be a little bit longer camp for you. Yeah, you know, I uh, I was actually in Japan with Darren Crookshank for uh, like four or five days. So, I mean, obviously I'm still over there training, but uh, you know, being away from like the normal mundane uh, two or three times a day, you know, at my gym, it was nice to kind of get a little bit of a break. Uh, and kind of slow things down, little some little injuries heal up, and you know then get right back into it. You know, six weeks out, uh, getting ready to go. So, um, yeah, I slowed down a little bit for a week, and just kind of focused on you know technique a little more. Didn't go live that week, uh, which was a nice little mental rest and a little uh, rest for my body. But yeah, now everything's full circle. I'm I'm uh, getting ready to do that. Earlier this year, you got the biggest win of your career. You had mentioned the the fight with Brian Caraway at UFC 222. You picked up another split decision. Honestly, I, I had scored it for you, but going through Twitter after that fight, it was pretty much 50-50 amongst fans and media after that fight in terms of how they scored it. I mean, can you understand why people may have scored it for Caraway, or do you think that they're just crazy? Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously, in my mind, you know, I obviously saw myself winning uh, the second and third rounds clearly. But anytime you drop around like that, and that that third round, you know that last minute, um, you know I could see to you know to the uneducated fan where they might think that you know he was winning just because he had me on the cage, um, and he was a little bit busier in that in that last you know minute of that round. Even though I controlled the first four minutes, you know I'm not surprised that people you know anytime there's a close fight you're gonna get some backlash. Uh, but in my mind, there was no doubt that I won that fight. And, uh, you know, it was, it was good. Uh, it was really, really good for me just because, you know, fighting a top 10 guy, I'd never really fought against uh, that caliber of athlete before. And, you know, going out there and, and getting a win against a guy who's, you know, been in the UFC since I hit puberty, um, you know, was obviously a big, a big uh, confidence booster for me moving forward, you know, for this ultimate Sterling fight. Were you having flashbacks of the Duke and Wa fight, waiting for the scorecards to be read? I mean, were you starting to get nervous there, or were you a little more acclimated to it because of what happened with the Duke and Wa fight? And, you know, that was clearly a win for you. I, I don't know anybody who thought Duke and Wa won that fight, but, you know, you were kind of in that position where you were waiting for the split decision, the final judge's scorecard to be read. Were you a little more prepared for it, or were you still nervous up there waiting for that to be read off? Oh, I'm always nervous. You know, anytime <laughs> it goes to the judges, uh, you know, I'm always really, really nervous. I had a fight, you know, I'm... 17 and one, um, but my only loss was a really, really bad split decision. Um, a fight that you know I think was probably like a Duke and Law fight, where 
you know, everyone in my corner, you know, we were all hugging each other, good job on each other. We knew that, I knew that I won the fight. Everyone in the crowd knew that I won the fight. And then um, I ended up losing a split decision. So that was really, really tough. And I think about how different my MMA career would be right now if I was, you know, 18 and 0 compared to 17 and 1. Um, so, you know, every single time uh, I go through the decision, I'm always, you know, pretty on edge having experienced that. I've been on the wrong side of one of those uh, those bad decisions. You know, it's just a fight game. Like you see it happen all the time. Um, you know, I've, I've seen some really, really bad calls. There were a lot of really bad calls on that, uh, that Atlanta card. <laughs> um, so, so it's not, it's not, uh, you know, it's not something that never happens. It's something that is really, really possible in our sport. I mean, you never know, you know, what the judges are seeing, you know, when they're paying attention. Um, it's tough. And, you know, I don't really see how it could, you know, get any better unless we, you know, make it a little bit more stricter, a little bit more strict for the, you know, the judges, you know, maybe a little more qualifications, but, you know, how do you do that? It's a pretty young sport. I think one thing that would be, and I know Jersey tried this, I know CFFC tried to do this maybe two years ago, like, would you be down with the judges not being in the same, like, arena and watching the fight on monitors? Like, do you think that would make a difference? Because I feel like, especially, and you kind of saw it on Saturday night with the DJ Cejudo fight, the, the fans were clearly behind Henry Cejudo in that fight. I mean, you could you could tell anytime he threw a punch, the fans went nuts. Do you think, like, just putting them in a muted room, having them watch the fight on the monitors, do you think that would make a difference? I definitely think that they should. I definitely, you know, not be swayed by the, by the crowd. I mean, I watched... Uh, TJ Dill saw Dominic Cruz fight, and the whole crowd, that was when everyone was kind of bashing TJ because of the whole female-to-male fallout. And uh, I was watching that fight, unbiasedly watching, and I thought for sure TJ won that fight. But the crowd was 1,000% behind Dominic Cruz. Everything he did, you know, they were ecstatic. They, you know, same, just like you were saying, they were, uh, you know, cheering him on. And everything TJ landed, there was nothing there. So I think that really did sway the judges in that in that time. I could see where it'd be easy. I mean, it's it'd be really easy to be influenced by the crowd. I mean, I think that even when you're watching on TV, you're influenced a lot by the commentators. You're influenced by the crowd. I mean, maybe you know, there's things that that everyone's missing. Um, and yeah, I, I think that would actually be a really really good uh, mandated thing. Whether it's like noise canceling headphones, something to where you know they're complete tuned into the, to the fight and not, not necessarily what's going on around them. What did you think of Sterling's performance when he fought Brett Johns? I mean, Sterling has been one of those guys, has always had tremendous upside. He's got a good personality, in my opinion. I thought that that was his best performance of his career in Atlantic City. What did you think about that fight and his performance? Um, you know, I really wasn't in that, necessarily that impressed with his performance. I didn't really think Brett Johns and I are on the same level, you know, as far as... Uh, all-around fighter. Uh, I think Brett Johns is a really, really, really good opponent for Alderman Sterling just because Brett Johns is so linear. He's kind of forward and backwards, and Sterling moves side to side so much. So I think that that fight was really, really tailored for Alderman Sterling. Um, that and, you know, Brett Johns' takedown defense really isn't that great. He really hasn't been tested like that, uh, you know, inside, inside the octagon. So, you know, in my eyes, what I saw was you know, a perfect opponent for Alderman Sterling to, to kind of, uh, you know, implement what, what he does well. And then for Brett Johns, just the absolute worst opponent he could have fought just because he's one of those guys that likes to sit in the pocket and bang. And, you know, Alderman isn't really that kind of guy. He, he's more of a, you know, he, he, he's, he's moving uh, laterally a lot. Uh, so, you know, I don't think, I don't think that was Alderman's best performance. I think his best performance was probably against, uh, 
Rafael Asuncao. I felt like he uh, he fought he fought really well in that fight, and you know he's at the top because he's really good. And uh, you know I want to fight guys that are really good and at the top because you know I believe that I can beat them. Uh, so you know this fight, 100%. You know it's the fight that. I know in my heart that I can go out and win. You know, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, getting the right preparation and go out there and, and handle my business. Where are your advantages in this fight? Like, I know the common popular answer is I'm better everywhere, and maybe that's true. But specifically, like, what about your game is better than his? What specific aspect of this great sport do you shine over him with? Well, it's my ability to kind of adapt, you know, inside the cage. Um, I'm really, really good at figuring out how to beat people. You know, my fight IQ, I believe, you know, I have one of the best fight IQs in uh, in the game, you know, I if if you see me lose a round, there's a good chance I'm gonna sit down on that bench, figure figure out what I did wrong in that minute, come back and win the next one. Um, so, you know, for me, it's my ability to uh, you know kind of prepare and and be ready for you know the kind of things that he does consistently in his fights. And that, and you know, I it's the wrestling aspect. Um, I think I'm a better MMA wrestler, and I think that's really gonna mess him up. I think my ability to control where the fight ends up. Uh, is going to screw his takedowns up. And, I, you know, this is a fight that I've been looking at um, even before Caraway. You know, Sterling was a guy that I, I really, really thought was going to put me on the map. So, um, I mean, I can't say that, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm better than him everywhere. But I think when, you know, him and I get into the cage, I think I'm going to figure out how to beat him and I'm going to frustrate him and uh, now I'm going to expose him. You obviously have a great team that you work with, Michigan top team. I mean, your record speaks for itself. And, you know, Al Jermaine has a good team as well. He, he has a pretty specific go-after-it style, and you have the same essential mindset. Are you working with anyone specifically at the gym for this camp that is pushing you, pushing that Sterling-type pacing on you? No, because Michigan top team, you know, we have a lot of, like, uh, we have a really diverse group of guys. So it's just about picking different training partners. Um, and then, you know, kind of, uh, you know, drilling and going over stuff that, that you know, I feel like he's going he's gonna to do and kind of, I, I look at, you know, how, how would I, if I was Aljamain Stewart, how would I fight myself? And uh, kind of tapering everything to that, you know, whatever his game plan is, it's like a, like a game of chess and just trying to be a move ahead all the time. And, uh, you know, I have a really good coaching staff and, you know, I'm lucky that um, I've been with my coaches and my team for as long as I have. You know, I haven't I haven't shifted around. You know, trained at other gyms, but you know, for the most part, you know, my coaches they know me. They know you know what I'm good at. You know, they know what you know. They 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 study my opponents, and it's just uh, you know a collaboration of a bunch of minds coming together and and figuring out you know how I'm going to go out there and, and get the win. And I really feel like I'm. I'm the best I've ever been, and you know everybody says that, but you know I didn't really have the luxury of uh, you know training full time when you know I was coming up. I I worked and I did other things. That, there was a lot of things that kind of took away from my overall MMA game. Since I've been on the UFC, I think uh, you know I've made uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of changes, and I've been more organized in my training. My entire focus is just on you know being the absolute best athlete I can be. I'm recovering better. You know, training smarter. You know, everything's more organized, and I think that's that's where uh, you know the the biggest difference is going to be. You know, I'm still you know I'm still uh, I'm still you know heading towards the top to where I think Aljamain Sterling's been in the UFC a really long time, and I think he he's kind of peaked. He's seen the best. He's already fought those guys. He's been around. I don't really see him you know getting uh, getting that much better uh, every fight. To where you know every single fight against me, I keep you know leveling up, and uh, you know I'll. To do that, number eight. 
every fight is big, every fight is important, and you know, right now, while the bantamweight division is getting deeper and deeper, but this is the way I, I, I have a sense of it. For the first time in a while, there's some openings up the top. I mean, you got Cruz and Asuncao and Marias who are right there knocking on the door of a title shot, but there's some opportunity right now to get into the top five and really do some damage in that division. Are you seeing that as well as you head into this fight? Yeah, I feel like this is a this is a fight that I needed I needed to, to, to move up and kind of put me in a in a spot, you know, where my name is gonna be mentioned. Uh, and that was always that was my goal for two thousand eighteen. Was to be one of those guys, to be the Cruz of Sunsau, Marias, to be one of the guys that people mentioned as you know a, a potential a potential guy to be in a belt fight. I realized that you know there's there's obviously there's guys that are you know more deserving than me. They've won those fights. Uh, you know I think a Sunsau, you know Cruz obviously is always a guy that you know could get that shot. Marias has you know been on absolute tear so. You know, I recognize that there are guys that, you know, maybe are above me right now. But I think that, you know, a, a good win over Elgin Sterling definitely puts me in that conversation. You know, and then it kind of gives the, the MMA community, um, you know, uh, I'll be that dark horse in vision if I have to. You know, I'll be that guy that, uh, you know, people are like, dude, this is the guy. He's the next guy that's going to, you know, pop into this, uh, in, you know, contender status. And I think after this fight, I, think, I don't think there's going to be any doubts that, you know, I'm going to be a chance someday. This fight pretty much brewed with you know initial callouts and, and some trash talk back and forth between the two guys. Do, do you expect the trash talk to continue here? I mean, you detailed in my old show about your old relationship with Caraway, how you met him, you immediately didn't like him when you trained with him in Extreme Couture, and you weren't really feeling his vibe. And you know, Aljamain's going to talk for sure. You're not afraid to talk. Do you expect this to ramp up even more as we get closer to this fight? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I want to sell this fight. I want people to be excited about it. I want to be. Uh... You know, I don't think we're going to be on the pay-per-view, but I want this to be the, the fight that, that people are tuning into on Fox. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, I think it's just getting started. I think as we get closer, uh, things are going to get more uh, brutal between him and I. And, you know, that's kind of where MMA is gone. You know, you have to be that squeaky wheel. And, you know, that's what's a, that's a you know, as much as we're, you know, we're athletes, you know, we're performers, you know, this is a, this is a, a spectator sport, and you got to be exciting, you know, inside and outside the cage. I think that's where a lot of guys fail, especially at, at Bantamweight. You know, like look at a guy like a Sunsau. You know, he doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything, but he just goes out and he wins these fights. And, you know, people kind of look over him because, you know, he's not exciting outside the cage. And, you know, I never want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that's, you know, getting the most out of every single every single opportunity that I have. And, uh yeah, moving forward, I mean, I'm just going to have to open up. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, shit-talking is uh, is something that I do, you know, to my training partners, to, you know, everyone in my life, anyone that knows me knows that, you know, i got a big mouth. Um, and I plan <laughs> to use that to, you know, my advantage uh, moving forward. When did you kind of realize that, that that was the case? I mean, I feel like I've talked to so many fighters who come into the UFC and they're like, well, I'm not going to be a Conor, I'm not going to be shit-talking, like, I'm just going to keep winning. And then eventually they turn the corner and they realize, like, you know, winning's great, but... I gotta, I gotta market myself in a different way. I mean, you obviously don't want to be Connor. You want to be like, like Cody Stamen. But when did you start to realize that about the squeaky wheel thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you see these guys getting fights, and everyone's like, "Well, that guy doesn't deserve a shot." Um, it's like, well, you know, he's doing, he's doing a lot of work, uh, you know, outside to promote himself, and you know, it's not always the best guy that gets the opportunity. It's the guy that's making the most noise, and you see that time and time again. You've seen it in boxing. You've seen it uh, in every combat sport. So, I mean, if you study study combat sports going back 50 years, you can see that, 
you know, it's the guys that are making the most noise inside and now it's the most influential people that, you know, are remembered. You know, I want to be one of those guys. And, you know, I'll never be, uh, I'm never going to be a guy that's uh, going to, you know, talk shit about someone's family or, you know, I know where that line is. But, um, you know, I have to just use the gifts that I was given. And, you know, I definitely have a sharp tongue and, uh, you know, I plan on using that to the, the best of my ability. Have you met Aljamain Sterling before? Like, have you guys been face-to-face with each other? Have you guys chatted in the past before all this started coming together? You know, I'm trying to think back. You know, there's been a ton of times I've been in Vegas, you know, doing a Christian Spiders training, and um, I don't ever think I've ever seen the guy. I don't think I've ever seen him. I know I've never talked to him. Uh, honestly, uh, I've, you know, I've, I've watched, you know, pretty much every one of his fights, so I feel like I know him. But, uh, no, I mean, it's not it's not a personal thing like it was with, uh, with Caraway. You know, I... I knew him. I trained with him. Um, I just didn't like him. And uh, without Jermaine Sterling, it's all business. You know, I don't have any. I don't know him personally. I don't. I you know. I know uh, some of the guys in his camp personally. They're all really good guys. You know, I've always been a fan of uh, of his team. Um, but you know, this is just this is all business. You know, I'm, it's nothing personal. Uh, you know, I think maybe he might be taking a little personal, uh, getting a little butt hurt. But you know, that's on him. Um, I'm just trying to promote a fight and. You know, do everything I have to do to to, to be successful in the sport. You're not a, a big prediction guy from our past conversations, but is there a part of you? And I know winning is priority one, but is there a part of you that that needs a finish here, like get that first stoppage in the UFC? Because I mean, you're four and zero in the UFC, or, or you're, you're you're undefeated, but you have yet to, to to finish a fight. Has that kind of eluded you in your mind right now? Yeah, it's definitely something I've been focusing on. You know, and it's something that's bothered me because I see opportunities in, in past fights where you know I could have got the finish, but it just you know, bit down and went for it. Um, and that was something that 100% I was going to implement. And uh, I, I knew for a fact going into that Brian Caraway fight that I could finish my feet. I knew I could uh, I could land a big shot. And there were so many times in that fight uh, where I just, I'd crack them and then I would light up. And, you know, that's that's a mental thing. That's, uh, that's something that, you know, I've been working on. I've been working on jumping on people and, you know, looking for the finish because I have that ability. I've, I finished a ton of, you know, I had 20 amateur fights, and I finished almost all of them. So I have that ability to finish, guys. I know that I do. I've, I've finished, you know, plenty of professional MMA fights. It's just about me sitting down, hitting harder, and, uh, you know, going after people. I just have to – it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mental hump I have to get over, and I really think that, you know, in this Elgin main fight, you know, you, like you said, I'm not, I'm not big on predictions. I know that no matter what happens in there, I'm getting my hand raised, but I think I can knock Elgin main now. now. I've seen him get dropped by people before, and I definitely think I have the power and in the, in the game plan, you know, to be the guy that you know puts him out like Marius did. With a win, that'll put you to four and zero in the UFC. I had to go back and, and look real quick. That'll be eleven straight wins for you. Where does a win like this put you on that championship bro? I know we touched on it a little bit, but do you see it being like two more wins, three, four? Like how close are you to getting to the belt, getting to a title shot with a win over Aljamain Sterling? I think it's a win over Aljamain Sterling and then one more. You know, I think, and it has to be a guy that is in that contender spot. It has to be like a Sunsau or Maria or Cruz or one of those one of those big name guys for me to be that next guy that gets the shot. I mean, I feel like those guys should probably fight off to see you know, who's going to be the next guy to face face TJ Dillashaw. I don't think Cruz should just get the shot. I think he should have to fight. He'd have to fight a Sunsau or Maria or somebody. Um, or, you know, one of those guys should get the immediate shot. Shouldn't be Cruz. You know, Cruz should have to fight at least one time um, before he gets that shot. And then, you know, it's going to be one of those guys, you know, after that beat Ochman and Sterling and, 
you know, providing I, I go out and I do what I know I can do, you know, two fights, I think I'm going to be the guy that uh, is fighting for the belt. Well, it all begins for you on September 8th. Cody Stamen joining us on the Extra Rounds podcast. Got to take on Aljamain Sterling in Dallas, UFC 228, live on, well, we don't know where you're going to be fighting, but I assume you'll be on the FS1 prelims. That would be my guess, and hopefully you get that headline spot, the featured bout on, on FS1. I think that would be the best place to put you guys. I think that's a, it's a marquee fight for the division and a very important fight for the division. So, Cody, we wish you the best of luck as you prepare for this fight, as you get through the rest of your training camp, and we'll definitely be watching, man. Best of luck to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right, there he is, Cody Stamen, everybody, the Spartan, looking to make it 11 straight, 4-0 in the UFC when he takes on a very tough Aljamain Sterling at UFC 228 in Dallas from the American Airlines Center in the Lone Star State. All right, let's move ahead to our next guest. He's going to be taking on Noad Lahat next Friday night in the main event of Bellator 204 in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He is the reigning Bellator Bantamweight champion, but he will not be fighting at Bantamweight for this fight. He's going to jump up to featherweight, perhaps... With champ champ aspirations, let's find out. It should be enjoyed by Darian Caldwell. Darian, how are you, man? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, for coming on and doing this. I, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind when I heard about this fight, you and I chatted just before your most recent fight, your title defense against Leandro Higo, and you were you were ready for that fight, but you could tell you were, you were in the middle of a weight cut, you had a, a fight to focus on, and naturally you had a lot going on. So are you excited to relax a little bit more, worry less about a hard weight cut heading into this thing? Uh, that that for sure. You know, the weight cut is a lot easier. Um, my life has never relaxed. You know, I'm always on the go doing something, you know. Uh, so, uh you know, this camp is uh, is been just as rough in other aspects, but you know, just uh, uh, you know, this is what what builds character. You know, this is what fuels the fire. This is really what you know, like you know, that fire under my ass. I'm going go after it. You know, come fight night. How are you feeling right now compared to to most fight preparation? Like, do you feel better than usual now that you're fighting at 145? Uh, it's the same thing. You know, uh, outside of I got a little bit more energy going the training. Practices and leaving practices throughout my days, you know, uh, you know, because I'm not as uh, I'm I, I'm getting more nutrients in my body. You know, I'm able to you know eat the right things and you know and stay healthy. You know, I have to worry about you know uh, missing out on energy because I have to miss a meal, you know, or uh, cut out so much of my portions. But obviously, you know, uh, I walk around you know at one seven, you know, so. Um, you you walk around at 170 pounds? Yeah, I'm about, I go from like 60 to like 170. You know, after a fight, you know, I'm, I'm like, I get to 170, and then you know, once I start training again, I'm you know, I'm training at 65. You know, so I'm a pretty big, you know, pretty big dude. You know, um, in terms of my you know, weight class, you know, so um, it's still gonna be a little cut. You know, I, I remember I was cutting at 45s, and you know, a little cut. You know, every time you gotta lose weight, you know, you know. It's, it's going to be strenuous, but um, it's not as bad. You know, again, I got a little bit more energy you know, for this cut, you know, as opposed to 35 where I'm low on energy and I got to still cut weight. So um, that's probably, probably the main difference, you know? So as we talked about, you are the Bantamweight champion of Bellator, one of the best 135-pounders on the planet. I mean, how did this all come together to fight Noad at featherweight at Bellator 204? Was this something you had asked for, or is this something that was just presented to you? Absolutely. I want to be a two-division champ, you know. Uh, I think uh, when they uh, offered, you know, they presented Noad with a challenge, you know, as a, as a possible fight, you know, 
I jumped on it. You know, I, I would think he shied away from me either. So uh, I feel like he's a uh, a good test for me. Um, he's he's a good example of what I'm going to face when it comes to pit bull. You know, I, I have a little bit of a athleticism. You know, uh, so like uh, he he's just like the perfect um, exhibition fight for me to go ahead and you know fight for that world title at 145. Obviously, being a two-division champion would, would be huge. I mean, there's there's not many of them out there. There's there, there's just a select few of them. But is there a part of you that just wants the bantamweight division to sort itself out? I mean, you fought pretty much all the big names in the division already. You beat them all. And I know Michael McDonald is out there, which is a fresh matchup, but he's hurt right now. Does some of this have to do with just getting the division in order so you can challenge yourself a little bit more at 135? Absolutely. absolutely. You know, if there was challenges ready to go, you know, I'd be fighting at 135, but um, that's not the case. Those guys are still playing catch-up right now, you know. Uh, uh, so once, uh, once I, I, I'd say this is going to be uh, a good fight with uh, some 35 is on the car, you know. Uh, it's been uh, the and big ass guy and uh, and uh, Miss Burger, uh, what's his name, with Gallagher. He's that's a pretty good fight, you know, for the division. You know, those are both. Big names in the 135-pound uh, weight class, you know, outside of Bellator and UFC. So uh, uh, they bring they bring a lot of uh, a lot of pressure to this division. You know, they're going to make guys want to fight. You know, uh, including myself. You know, um, putting even just adding McDonald to that weight or to that to that mix. You know, that that's that's going to make us want to fight more. You know, if these guys can't can't catch up, you know that's on them. But I'm I'm still gonna hold, hold my belt at 135, you know, and I'm gonna get start at 145. And you know, the goal is to fight two times a year, you know, at each weight class, you know, four fights a year. I think I think that's doable. I'm on track for that right now. So to, to kind of clarify, if all goes well here, you feel good, you feel better than ever, you perform better than ever, you have just a fantastic performance. You are the bantamweight champion. Is there any chance you stay at 145 permanently if everything goes according to plan here, or do you absolutely 1,000% plan to bounce back and forth? Well, I'm absolutely positive I'm going to bounce back and forth. Why would I give up a belt if guys can't win? Like, you know what? <laughs> I mean, if guys can't beat me, like, that's on them, you know? They're going to have to uh, figure it out, figure me out, you know? Uh, as long as I'm winning fights, you know, there should be no reason to vacate a belt, you know? Uh, and very rarely do guys who do that go up and down and defend both belts so you'd be kind of be in a league of your own right there and let's talk about Noad for a minute. I mean, he's he's got a lot of big event experience. He's fought in Bellator. He's with the UFC for a little while. Did you know a lot about him when this fight got put together? Uh, I, I seen a little bit of arm um, uh, before the fight was put, put together. Um, I didn't know uh, anything about him. You know, uh, I just seen him seen him um, in that fight over in Budapest, I believe, or something like that. Maybe Israel or something, but. Uh, I seen him, and you know, he just didn't really. Uh, he wasn't a guy who I was like, "Oh, I need to think about this guy." You know, uh, 
obviously he, he poses some threats. You know, he's strong. You know, he, he likes to grapple, you know. Um, but uh, he's just not as diverse as what I'm used to seeing him every day. I mean, I've been very high on you for a long time, so I'm not just blowing smoke here. You're a guy that just provides such a ferocious pace in your performances. Like, you have this ability to just keep people guessing, be able to throw strikes from any angle, any position. You have that grinding wrestling ability if you need it. You got the submission skills, everything. Do you see Noad or, or really anybody at 35 or 45 really being able to match that pace and well-roundedness you bring to the table? Is there anybody who can match that, in your opinion? Well, uh, you know, styles make matchups, you know? The thing about my style is, you know, when you're in there with me, it's just a difference in, in what you've seen on tape or, you know, what you start in practice, you know. It's just, uh, you know, it's almost like my body is, is water, you know. I, I just I just go with, you know, what I'm given, you know. And uh, instinctively, I have some of the best, I have some of the best instincts in the world, you know. So I'm, I'm going to rely on those, you know. I'm going to continue to rely on my instincts, you know. And my ability to, you know, to execute, you know, uh, my world away. How does this thing play out next Friday night? You mentioned that this would be a good exhibition match into the featherweight division, and you were pretty spot on when we spoke before your last fight. What happens when Bellator 204 comes to an end? What, what's the headline going to read? Well, I'm five and zero right now at 145. You know, um, so this would be six and zero. You know, three and zero in the Bellator case as a, at, at 45. As well as the family champion, I don't see uh, any other headline besides uh, champ versus champ, you know, Bellator 206, Bellator 207, whatever it may be. You had mentioned James Gallagher being on this card, making the drop to Bantamweight, and he wants that title that you hold, obviously. So what are your thoughts on James? Because knowing him, if he goes out there and puts it on Ricky Bandejas, he's going to be screaming your name, I'm sure. Like, what do you what, what do you make of what Gallagher's done so far in his career? Uh, not much, you know, outside of a little bit of talking, I don't think he's done much. I know he's lost a lot on the on a uh, amateur international circuit, you know, so um, I just don't really see him uh, being a threat. I do see uh, him having to worry about these guys fighting August 17th rather than think about calling me out because if he looks past this guy, you know, um, it's going to be a long night for him, you know. Fair enough. Uh, last thing for me, and I appreciate the time, Darian. A, a lot of people want to know since, Absolutely. yeah, a, a lot of people want to know because you know I, I told people you're going to be joining us. You trained a line with that group of killers, and everybody wants to know about Dominic Cruz. He's on the comeback trail. He said he's been cleared. He's on very light restriction, but he pretty much is good to go to get back in the cage and, and fight. So, how's he feeling? How's he looking right now? Because that is really quite the weapon to have on your team when you have a healthy Dominic Cruz to work with. I'm telling you now, this is just sharpest I've seen Dom. I felt him. He was the healthiest. His mind is in the right place. Um, I say before the end of the year, we have two two uh, bantamweight divisions, uh, two bantamweight titles at at Alliance MMA. Love it, man. Bellator 204 coming up next Friday night. Don't miss on the Paramount Network. Darren Caldwell, back up to 145 pounds to fight Noah Lahad in the main event. Darren, thank you for the time, man. Anything else you want to get off your chest here before we put a bow on this thing? Not at all. I'm looking forward to fighting Noah Lahad August 17th. Going down. All right, thanks, Darian. All the best to you for the rest of your preparation and in the fight itself next Friday night. Thank you, man. All right, there he is, Darian Caldwell, one of the best 135-pounders on the planet, and he wants to be one of the best 145-pound fighters on the planet as well. He wants to be the champ champ. He's so good. He is so good. He's got, uh, he, he, he has a very high ceiling, and I've been talking about Darian Caldwell for 
an awful long time right now. Of course, he, he had the hiccup against Baby Joe, but he's he's come back in a big way since that loss, and he's just getting better and better, and he's just getting started. He's not even near as good as he's going to be, in my opinion, but that's just me. I've been high on him for a long time, so I want to thank Darren Caldwell for the time as he gets ready for his main event fight at Bellator 204 next Friday night. And that's it, everybody, for this episode of the Extra Rounds Podcast. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for listening. We'll have more of a full show next week. I can promise you that. And we have one confirmed guest already coming off his big win at UFC 227. Ricky Simone will join the program to talk about his big win. He's engaged now. So I'm excited to talk to him, and I'm not sure what the rest of the lineup's going to look like, so make sure you like me on Twitter, or follow me on Twitter, at MikeHack underscore JR. Follow the sites on Twitter, at FansideMMA, at SI underscore MMA. Big shout out to the sponsor, Test Strips with the Z.com. Managing diabetes is your business. Making it affordable is theirs. Turn your extra unused diabetes supplies into cash up to $50 per box at TestStripsWithTheZ.com. We'll see you next week, everybody.